0: Mistreatment is this devil girl who is more about therapy and hypnosis, and she has this psychiatrist lounge that's surrounded by lava because it's in hell.
1: Hello and welcome to Fuck Yeah, the podcast where we say fuck yeah to kinky virtual reality. I'm here with my very cozy looking <laughs> co-host, Sarah. How are you, Sarah?
2: I am very cozy. It is so cold in my house. I've just been freezing for 10 days straight now. Yeah,
1: I feel you. I feel you. I think that's a wh- part of what people not from Los Angeles don't understand is that we don't have insulation. So yeah. when it is 45 degrees, we're chilly.
2: Yeah. And most places have total BS for heat. So it's just my toes are so cold.
1: Yep. <laughs> well, you're making me feel warmer looking at you. <laughs> so I appreciate
2: that. Do you have any fuck yas this week? Oh, yeah. Yeah. My life is catching up with me a little bit right now. I realized on Friday, it's like I'm kind of doing three jobs right now. Right. And the mad dash of the holidays and school is about to be out. And I was just tired and grumpy on Friday. And I could not figure out why. I was like, why would I be this grumpy? Life is fine. And I'm like, oh, because I'm really tired. And then guess what? I got a full night's sleep Friday night. I didn't have to wake up for 6:30 a.m. meetings because one of my jobs requires that right now. And I just felt rested and all of a sudden, I was like, I had all these ideas for the podcast. I think I was like yes. obsessively texting you on Saturday and I just felt I love it when you do that. Refreshed. I was like, "Oh, Sometimes it's really just that simple. Like you got to yep. eat good food. You have to stay hydrated and you got to sleep. Yep. And so that's my fuck. Yeah. It's just remembering that there's always a tool available for getting refreshed. And I felt very yeah. refreshed through the weekend and I'm just appreciative for that sweet, simple reminder.
1: Yeah. Good for you. I love it when you take care of your body.
2: Now, that is my body oh i yeah. cannot believe we have your brother on the podcast today Yeah, yep. i'm so
1: excited
2: keeping it in the family this week yeah i just like i want to i want to hear about his take on your childhood yeah i want to know how you both ended up being kinky. I'm so curious and excited about this interview.
1: Yeah, I hope we get to the bottom of that because we've been wondering that as well. Like, how did we end up like this? We're both very happy with it, but it is curious. Usually there's one black sheep, but I kind of feel like we're a whole family of black sheep. <laughs> and we enjoy our, our sheepy blackness.
2: Would you describe your relationship with your brother to be really close? I know that he lived abroad for a long time.
1: I wouldn't say that it's really close. I would say that it's very kind and compassionate and easygoing. We're like very there for each other, but it's not like we're chatting on the phone. Although we have started regularly setting up calls on Sundays with our dad and And that's been really nice. But we find usually that when we're together, we'll have some deep talks, but we're not always together. But I know, like, he's a great guy and he's always got my back. And I know he's always there. So he's good family. I love
2: (laughs) him. Sweet. He also has, like, in his own right, we would have him on the podcast because he's doing kind of a very revolutionary, sex-positive thing. He's got a kinky VR bit virtual reality game.
1: That's right. That's right. He does. He does. I'm actually hoping to find some time to help him write some scripts for it. He's asked me to help him with it. And I'm like, hell yeah, it's a very interesting game. So I'm excited to share that with you and with the listeners. Because when he was telling me about it, I was very impressed. I was like, you're not just slapping something onto VR. I feel like he's making a very interesting piece that I think moves the kink conversation forward in certain ways. And he's just my favorite nerd. We'll get to nerd out with him, I hope.
2: Remind me, what's the name of the game?
1: Dominatrix Simulator. It's a pretty basic name, I think, for a very interesting world that he's created.
2: Yeah, I bet he's at the forefront of it too. I don't know that it had totally made it into my awareness that virtual reality games, I'm not a gamer, so I know nothing about games actually. So I don't know why I'm trying to front like I should know, but I only think of VR in terms of those headsets that you put on and then you like practice boxing or...
1: Yeah, VR to me is always like, watching videos of people experiencing VR looking like they're lost in the woods or something yeah yeah but yeah i'm there with you all of my experience with gaming is through my brother or through my eldest child who has a lot of personality traits of my brother. So I'm hoping my brother will be able to mentor him through his nerdy world and everything. But, and when um, I say nerd, by the way, I mean it in the kindest way, oh. not in a downputting way. Isn't
2: that a term of affection?
1: I, I think it depends on who's saying it. I yeah. think it's a little bit like queer. I think in general, mm-hmm, people mm-hmm. view it as a nice word, but it always depends on who's saying it. If you're an 80s blonde jock saying nerd, totally.
2: yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think it was a very Friendly term when we were young, but I refer to my daughter as a nerd and I mean it with the utmost respect and affection. I'm like, oh, nerds are the best.
1: Yeah. I mean, nerd, queer, bitch, all bad terms in the 80s that I hold in very high regard now.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's get Brian on. I can't wait to talk to him. Let's jump in. Brian, hello. Hi. So nice to meet you.
0: Hey, nice to meet you too. Thanks for having me.
2: Yeah, this is awesome to have you on the podcast.
1: It's a family affair now. We always start our guests off with four warm-up questions. Mm -hmm. I'm going to change the last one slightly because it would be uncomfortable with family. Okay. Anyway, our first question is, what is the last podcast you listened to?
0: Uh, Last podcast? I guess that would be not another D&D podcast because I'm a nerd and I really like these guys. They're like comedians that talk about D&D and play D&D games and the old dungeon court where they, they rule on various bizarre happenings on their listeners' D&D games. It's pretty great.
1: It, you've told me it's kind of like a soothing thing for you, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. I'll I usually play a little visual matching game and then listen and it's almost like hanging out with friends. Like any really good podcast,
2: how long have you been playing d and d?
0: Oh boy, at least middle school, I think I had the original oh, red box set that was <laughs> like basic d and d and they had the plastic dice that didn't even have they had number indents, and it came with a white crayon where you would like use wax to fill in the numbers on the molded dice, yeah, so this is like old school
1: oh Brian has a lot of o g nerd cred you're old school D&D mm-hmm. you also had what was the Commodore 64 like the first kind of yeah only- yeah Commodore
0: 64 programming in basic recording the programs on the tape i was on bulletin board systems bbss that you'd have to log in and you'd have to use the dial up phone to get access to them before the internet yeah
1: <laughs> didn't you like you were so excited cuz you set up an alarm right wasn't that your first coding thing? Am I wrong? It's
0: very possible. No. Yeah. I think that sounds familiar. I, I definitely think I set up alarms. And when I was in middle school, I'd get like an elective class. I kept taking the programming one and I would be programming in basic. And then the next year the teacher's like, oh, we're going to get these amazing Macintosh classics. And they're still black and white computers, but instead of a green <laughs> on dark green, it's white and black,
1: uh-huh. maybe
0: grayscale. you yeah. mind blowing. So I, I'd sign up again, but Computers wouldn't arrive until the end of that semester and then I'd sign up again and now I'm TAing the class and writing programs of drawing snowmen and having snow algorithms falling all all this kind of stuff. So I was into computers really super early.
2: I have to know, Robin, if you were getting in on this or if you were relentlessly teasing Brian about this stuff.
1: Oh, well, neither, neither. I was like, that's his thing. I cannot, I had an idea that if Brian was into it, I couldn't be into it. Like huh. I think I had a strong differentiation she, need. He
0: really didn't like me and I didn't like her when we were kids. Pretty much anything the other person did, we did not want to do.
1: Yeah. We did not want to mesh. And then he left home first because he's older. Then we were like, Oh, hey, yeah, that's no, cool. It's great. He's yeah, good. No, we're you fine. know, now we're fine. But um living it's a territory together. Thing. what if we moved in together and then we like viciously hated each other? Yeah, that,
0: that's very possible. Yeah, oh, well, we I've been here a week, is this? Yeah, no, it's been lovely. Okay. So,
1: what a difference <laughs> maturity makes. What's the last picture on your phone?
0: The last picture, I think it's of you and the kids at a Moscatel's with a bunch of yeah. ornaments or maybe a snowman.
1: Oh, that's sweet. Yeah, we always go to Moscatel. If you don't know, it's like the this mega warehouse of craft and faux flowers and. They sell primarily to retailers, so they have giant Santas. And every Halloween and every Christmas, I take the kids there because at Halloween, they have incredible Halloween displays.
0: They got cute little ornaments.
1: And then Christmas, it's like just walking into it, you get slapped across the face with Christmas smell. And it's just (laughs) overload. It is overload. It's like faux cinnamon. It's really So, oh, that's sweet. That's one of my favorite places. I call it the happiest place on earth. It is pretty nice. In L.A. at least. It's pretty great. Who was your first celebrity crush?
0: First celebrity crush. I really liked Selma Hayek. Was it Desperado? The one with Antonio Banderas.
1: Was it Desperado? I don't think I ever saw it.
0: Yeah, I think it was Desperado. There's a scene at the very beginning where she's just walking across the street. And there's these shots of these guys like, looking at her from a car and then there's this out of focus, giant car crash in the background.
2: Do you think it was the pairing of her femininity with the action or is it just, there's that through line of her?
0: It's hard to say. She also very much reminded me of someone in high school that I also had a crush on. So
1: You crushed pretty hard in high school.
0: Yeah. On a lot of girls in high school, probably to my detriment.
1: Usually our next question is, uh, what was your first mode of masturbation and I don't want to know. But what do you think was your first kind of kink moment or what got you into kink?
0: Well, remember how I had a computer that had a, that and I could go into like dial-up modems and BBSs and stuff? Oh boy. My friends would too. I specifically remember a couple of friends and I sitting around a computer and back then dial-up modems, we had these new these newfangled image formats named gifs that would come in one line at a time oh my god (laughs) they'd come in very slowly see these oh i think we have some hair and oh here's a forehead Mm -hmm. oh eyebrows we got eyebrows Well, one eyebrow is up line by line revealing (laughs) revealing inappropriate images for children so how old do you think you were what is ninth grade
1: that's uh, 15
0: yeah yeah it's Time is a flat circle. It's really hard to this judge. Is- I could get things way out of order. I think as soon as basically I had internet access in my own room, a whole new world opened up.
2: Was that once we were in L.A.?
0: Yeah, well, definitely in L.A.
2: How different it is than now where you it requires such patience to consume your porn <laughs> when you're doing it via dial-up.
0: Yeah, there's no effort these days. <laughs> yeah. Just get an instant. These kids today, I tell (laughs) you.
2: I am so excited to be talking to you. One, because I'm an only child and I'm fascinated by siblings. But you two in particular, obviously I don't know you, but I've heard lots of stories about you. And I feel like there are really some through lines between who you and Robin are as adults. Mm. And I guess I'm just wondering... If the childhood influences impacted you in similar ways, but Robin, you talk about how your household really has shaped your feminism and specifically your mom's rejection of traditional feminine gender expression was really influential in like good and problematic ways, right? Right. And I'm right. so Brian, I'm curious if you think that this also shaped your identity or perhaps how you relate to women.
0: I don't know. We always end up dating a mirror of our parents, I think, as as weird as that sounds. So, it absolutely has had impact, but I'd say even more so is just the combination of permissiveness around me being able to use the computer at any time of day, having it in my room, so I have private time on the computer. I think um Gives me access to a whole new world of ideas. I think really shaped my young, impressionable mind in ways that I'm personally happy about, but probably parents would be horrified about. But there's also an aspect of not really dictating to us any sort of religion or cultural philosophy so that we could make it up as we go along for good or bad. Um, I think a lot of that stuff allowed me to just explore what I wanted to explore, never feel guilty about it, pursue what felt good. And at puberty, you know
1: yeah yeah <laughs> that's
0: gonna be sex
1: it was a lot of shame-free-ness
0: yeah yeah a lot of acceptance be whoever you want to be you can do anything
1: our mom had a way of interacting with us of like a lot of curiosity about who we're gonna be she would tell mm-hmm. this story of you know i'd hold you when you're a baby and just go who are you in there <laughs> who are you gonna be and there was Really never this thing of you should do this or you should do that. It was always about self-discovery with
2: her. Mm -hmm. That's quite progressive.
0: And I think Robin and I have very different childhoods, even though Mm -hmm. we coexisted in the same spaces. For me, I got a huge boost to my self-esteem. As long as I was responsible, I got more and more privileges, so I could stay out to whatever hour I wanted to because my mom trusted me so much, as long as I called before midnight just so she knew not to wait up kind of a thing. So it was, it was super flexible, almost to a fault, but I think really benefited from it, at least from a self-image sort of way.
2: You said that you think your childhoods were really different, and I guess I wonder if You think that's because of gender?
0: Very possible. We were born in the 70s, (laughs) which is quite a number of decades ago and quite a number of cultural revolutions ago. So there was cultural pressure even without our parents doing it. Honestly, both mom and dad were very progressive. They were hippies and they always wanted to look at things in new angles or new approaches. And I think they passed that on to us in a really big way. For me, I had a lot of freedom and I really appreciated that. And I think this is the first time when culture is really finding that maybe we can treat children as friends more than just, well, to start with additional labor hands and then eventually burdens that need to be like spanked and told what to do and put in their place. At least for me, I really thrived under that. But yeah, it probably was maybe a gender difference that maybe distinguished us more than anything.
1: And I think birth order too makes a big difference. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I got to do everything first.
1: Yeah, and also it implies like a certain authority. Yeah. I don't know. And then just your experience being a younger, older, more developed or less developed in all of those situations, the way that you're going to yeah, feel it is different.
0: I was getting all these new responsibilities maybe way too early, but then I'm dragging you along with me to go to the mall or whatever it was yeah. you're doing as eight and six year olds or something like that. Yeah. Way too small to be wandering around (laughs) on our own.
1: And we grew up hardcore Gen X. We were like real latchkey kids to the point I think our dad would pay you to babysit me when you were six and I was four. Like, that's a thing that happened. Oh, and then I remember going to the mall with you. We were that young. Yeah, here's 20 bucks. And it's just like, here's some money. Walk to the mall.
0: Walk to the mall, get some food, buy some toys.
1: Now,
2: yeah, at least at our elementary school, the kids cannot bring themselves yeah. to school, and they can't leave unless an adult is picking them up.
1: Yeah, I feel like I spent half our childhood sitting in the car waiting for our parents to come out. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you can't do that anymore. Yep.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh God, we sound so old. <laughs> but I see some similarities between how our mother was and the women that I've seen. Brian choose to Definitely partner true. with over the years. They're always very strong women, talkative, um, and that you seem to always be more concerned about the spirit of the person than the appearance. And is not to say you haven't dated beautiful women and partnered with beautiful women, but it's never been like a thing where, I don't know, you're, you're a visual person, But you're also not superficial in that way.
0: Yeah, my type isn't a physical type. It's a personality type. And yeah, they are always the leader of the household and I kind of follow along. (laughs) And I like it. So I feels like home. I think that's where it's funny. We all leave home and then all I guess are constantly trying to get back there. Never can.
2: Mm, Yeah, that's Mm -hmm. interesting. How do you think you two ended up being both? creative not really having grown up in a creative household and kinky this is where I'm like really intrigued
0: I don't know if we are being creative is interesting because I didn't get into video games originally because I was creative or I didn't think of myself as creative I didn't think of myself as the artsy one Robin was always very into craft like drawing and Although I did do drawings. I, it must I'd... have been
1: the differentiation thing because yeah. I think like you are very creative, but I was labeled the artist early on.
0: Yeah, but I'm a classic introvert that really likes to get into a project and lose myself in it. And in fact, I think we both are like that. And we probably just get it from the big brains and our parents. And now it's gotten a little too far. And now we're just really obsessive. But I was always into the programming aspect of video games. And it wasn't even video games. Video games just happened to be my first job in programming. And with programming, it was more about solving puzzles. It was like working on a crossword. You figure out that word, you're like, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. I did that. But with programming par- problems are more open-ended, and you can structure them however you want. So there's a million solutions, and not only just coming up with a solution, but then what's the cleanest one that's easiest to be read by other programmers or that I'll remember when I come back that's been the, my attraction to video games as opposed to the expression I've never felt like I necessarily need to do express a certain art or a message if that makes
1: sense you always did a lot of reading I remember you would walk to school reading a book it would always be fantasy books though I feel like you have a real love for fictional fantastical especially science fiction type of worlds but yeah like, does that the do video games scratch that
0: yes absolutely once I got into video games at first I started playing them I used to think of video games as a waste of time because why should I be playing this thing when I could be making something right it's like right. this is like consuming seemed to be a waste of time originally I've come around I really enjoy video games and watching television shows listening to music all the input and sometimes there's too much input and I need to do output sometimes there's too much output and I need to do input I've gotten to a nice balance, but I've always been really into extremely nerdy things. We were raised to to go wherever we, our heart kind of led. I just naturally went to Star Trek the Next Generation. Now, next thing you know, I'm at a Star Trek conventions wearing freaking uh communicator pin. I had to, like fixed like Coke bottle glasses when I was a kid, and I was just such the classic cliched nerd on the on some like 80s sitcom. That was me accidentally.
1: But it is really great that mom always let you dive into that because I specifically remember when we were living in Texas and her boyfriend at the time was saying that you're going to get picked on because you're acting like a sissy and need to play football. And she was like, whatever. Didn't pay it any mind.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Our friend Jean always reminds me how she thought I would never get a girlfriend. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> how was that, kid?
2: You just did a call out, though, I think kind of unintentionally of an introvert survival guide of really being conscious of the input-output mm-hmm. yeah. balance. Yep, yep. And that's a pretty self-aware place to get to, realizing like, oh, yeah. there's been too much output or yeah. vice versa. When you
0: talk about how did it become kinky, once I knew I was really interested in kink, Then I basically just obsessed over it, just like I might with programming or whatever, and started researching it and scouring the internet for all the weird dark corners that tell you how to do things and how to tie knots and where you can buy the coolest gear, right? And it just becomes a, just like I might be obsessed with Star Trek. Now I'm obsessed with BDSM and all the different ways power exchange work and what are all the fun ways you can do that. And it becomes just little projects to work on and becomes a hobby rather than just something that you have to do biologically.
1: I think that is the connection. I think we didn't Mm -hmm. have shame around sexuality and we didn't have any avenues that we were required to travel for our interests or our profession or whatever. And so it's just, if you're interested in something, you can go down that road. And how I understand that some people aren't kinky, but I don't totally get it why you wouldn't be on some level because it's just... Yeah, so interesting and fun.
0: Yeah, we're at the beginning especially. It's a wide open field of so many fun experiences that may or may not even involve sex. It's just so much fun stuff to try.
1: The first time I got really into the kink world was because our mother, I was staying with her in Indiana. She had moved to Indiana to go back to school after we left home and I was having a hard time when I first left home and so I moved back in with her we're from L.A. and going to Indiana was real weird for me. Mm. But it was a good kind of, I needed the kind of calm down space to try to figure my shit out. But I remember being there and she was like, hey, there's this goth club that looks <laughs> like you might be into that. You want to go check it out? I mean, I didn't go oh. with her, but it was her suggestion. <sighs> She's like, there's something so called sweet. bondage a go-go. Do you want to go check that out? And I was like.
0: "Is mom saying this? Yeah. <laughs> wow.
1: And I was like, yes, I do. <laughs> and then that, that owner of that club was a dominatrix. And here I am today. My mom's fault. <laughs> yeah, that's Do you remember so the time great. mom went <laughs> with,
0: with us to Rocky Horror Picture Show?
1: No, I thought we only went together, but wow. There was oh, once when when she
0: went and it's burned into my brain because... It's like a almost like a stage show. Rocky Horror. When you go in LA, not everyone has the benefit of going to the New Art in LA. There's actors mimicking all the roles and stuff like that. But at the beginning, they'll have contests, and there was a underwear contest uh, on stage. And I had remembered that I had my Looney Tunes Roadrunner Wile E. Coyote underwear, and I was like, "Oh, I'm going to join this contest." My mom is in the audience. I think, Robin, I think you were in the audience.
1: I can't believe I don't remember. So this. there's
0: these. Uh, incredibly hot women showing these lace outfits, and everyone's going nuts. And then it comes to me, and I, I drop my my jeans, and I realize I put my underwear on backwards. <laughs> I was wearing the right underwear, but it was backwards, so I had to turn around and bend over. Oh my god! Yeah. Did so you win. I won. <laughs> the
1: crowd goes nuts <laughs> for some course. reason. Oh, because uh, it was a queer event. That's yeah. Why there you know
0: go. That. Yeah, that, oh, that was bizarre. But yeah, I think that's when
2: Mom went with us to watch Rocky Horror Picture oh, Show.
1: Oh, wow. I can't believe I don't remember. That's, cra- that's so great.
2: The new art also where I saw Rocky Horror Picture Show. And actually, as you said that, I didn't even realize that in other places, there's not a whole stage show around it. I thought that was the whole thing with Rocky Horror. If
0: you have Rocky Horror screenings, you usually have a stage show. Or
2: at (laughs) very least the audience
1: participation.
0: Yeah, yeah. The audience participation, it makes it 10 times more fun. I will say... because I've been to that state show, I can't help but participate if I am watching it on my own. But it's, right. it's and at definitely home you're
2: throwing stuff at the screen. Yeah, it's a
0: group experience, and otherwise you're like,
1: "What is going
2: on?" It's if you just so see it good. cold. Oh, I can watch it. Cold. It sounds like this holiday break maybe the boys need to watch Rocky Horror and learn all the moves right? from Uncle Brian. You know what? <laughs> oh, it would be
1: so interesting to get our kids' perspective on that. Brian has a child. Well, you have stepkids. Mm-hmm. And then a child that you and Laura had together who is non-binary. And mm-hmm. it's just so great to see you pass down kind of our mother and father's way of just being very accepting of who they are. I don't think they're going to have that kind of story of I had to yeah, struggle to talk to my parents about this.
0: Yeah. I- we didn't originally think that they were going to be non-binary we didn't make any assumptions at all like but man they from the moment they could point they did not want dresses they always wanted pants and shorts and sports jerseys from extremely young and they've been like that ever since and they don't want to change anything medically they're very excited about having a feminine figure and those sorts of things but that doesn't define how they dress or how they look or how they exist in the culture at all it's really great to see which i'm very happy about Good job, Brian. Thanks.
1: <laughs> hey, you just got back from New Zealand. You were there for like six years, right?
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: We we're both curious about what... Did you get a sense for what the sex positive movement is like over there or even gender affirmation movement or kink and everything? Or Did you interact with people in that way at all over there?
0: A little bit. We went to some munches and things like that where you hang out with other kinky people, but the communities were so small. You have to imagine the population of maybe... Maybe the Los Angeles area, but spread over two islands that are about the size of California. And so, even their cities are boutique cities. They're adorable little little towns that are themselves are cities, hmm. kind of a thing. You can walk yeah. across downtown in two or three blocks. What? And this is Wellington, the capital city, mm-hmm, right? Wow. Yeah. So the communities themselves are are relatively small. It reminds me of Indiana right. Muncie scene, right? There, there's definitely people there, but you're going to know them all by name and you're going to run into them in the grocery store. It's very tiny. So it doesn't have any amazing revolutionary cultural changes going on. I just don't think there's enough people to make a movement. You right. can have a two or three person movement.
2: But did it seem progressive? Yeah, are they working through the same puritanical bullshit that we are over That's here? That's a good point.
0: They are not, everything's fine, whatever you want is good.
2: That's like the general New Zealand attitude. Yeah, they have.
0: there's even a, a phrase called she'll be right. She'll be right which just means like, yeah, don't worry about it, which kind of gets the trouble. Like Mm. things are half built sometimes kind of she'll be right. Everyone is super nice, almost to a fault. The one thing I did miss from the U.S. is that everything was surface level. Everything was about the weather or I don't think people really dug into deeper personal life topics. It was almost like it was not nice to maybe dump those things on people you talk to and you should really keep it light which you actually end up missing after a while. It means you really don't really get to know people very well or very easily. And maybe there's some secret code that we missed out on about inviting people to tea or something that that sort of opens up those topics, but we didn't figure that out while we were there. But yeah, there was very few hangups in terms of just, there's not much judgment. Everyone's like, do we want guns? No. (laughs) Should police carry guns? No. "Why, Why does anyone need a gun? It was just... All the social issues that you wish were easy here are easy there. And again, because of the smaller population, you can get everyone to agree a little bit easier. But
1: When you have the first prime minister to give birth while in yeah. office and yep. breastfeed on the parliament floor. That's great.
2: Ah, so
1: jealous. Yeah.
2: Yeah, no, there were definitely some moments during COVID where I was like, can this be our leader? So can you tell us a little bit about your VR game. So I know that you have a kinky virtual reality game. And I know you have a background in programming and video games. As a kinky person, you brought all of these experiences together to create some gamification around kink. How did that crystallize? Was that like a COVID endeavor?
0: Uh, No, it was actually before COVID. It's called Dominatrix Simulator. (laughs) The way it came about was I had extra time in my evenings, and I had all of this game development knowledge. And while I really like kinky stuff, maybe there are kinky games out there that could use some help because it just seems like a fun topic to work on and another way to be kinky, I guess. And I was also, at the time, trying out new VR headsets, and I couldn't really find any... You think, oh, wow, yeah, porn always leads technology. You know, it's what made the DVD, and it's what made... VHS and the internet, it's like the number one reason people finally buy that thing, (laughs) But, but for VR though, it was surprisingly thin pickings and I was a little disappointed. And at one point I mentioned, like, hey, does anyone know of any projects that are kinky, BDSM? And someone's like, you should make one. If you do, I'll throw money at you. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then later on, I was playing one of those really complicated free-to-play games where you got to get gems and grind down the gems and use the gem powder to get all these other things to then level up these characters. As you're playing through it, there's a tutorial and it grays out everything in the UI. It goes, click this button. And then you click that. And then it's like, click that button. You click that. And it's like, put this thing here. And you grab it and you put that thing there. And you're like, okay, now put this thing here. And it's trying to teach you all this stuff, but it's just sh- telling you what to do. Telling you what to do. And I was like, wow, do. this game is just mm. just dominating me right now. I'm like, mm, what if I made a game where there's dominated people? It's just an extended tutorial. And then we just tell you, know, you do this, you do that. and then, And the game is actually, it's simulating a number of mistresses that tell you what to do as a player and the nice thing about VR is that we can track your hands and where your head is so you can go like okay well put your hands behind your back okay now get down on the ground all right now kiss my feet so you can actually tell the player to do all these things and when it's in VR having someone bigger than life standing there you're looking at them and they also know if you're not looking at them you look away they chastise you for looking away or they'll chastise you for looking, and you have to now like eyes on the floor, right? So there's a lot of aspects to it that just envelop you as a player. You become, yeah, you get into that sort of subspace trance a little bit. It's, all, it's putting on a VR headset, it's kind of like putting on a blindfold, right? You right. strip reality away, and yeah. now you are subject to only what, what the game shows you. I was playing around with the idea, but I was really hoping my partner Laura would be interested because she's super kinky as well and I thought she might like to work on the game with me and she was a little hesitant to it but eventually she started doing voice acting for it then character design then story writing and in fact she does more on the game than I do at this point I'm more of like technical support and implementing the code features and she's driving this whole story world that's this kinky mansion house that has all these mistresses and you get to choose which one to go to but you do tasks and depending on how you do you'll get a punishment or a reward stone and you have to pay off all your punishments before you can experience any of your rewards it's like punishment bad spanking reward it's a good spanking or they can start become physical and then it's almost like a dating sin where if you go back to a specific mistress enough can unlock more experiences with that mistress. So it's
1: it's pretty fun. All right. And you've told me some things about this game that I think really cross over into this otherworldly space, like getting almost into your sci-fi stuff where you're taking the elements of kink like you would in a sci-fi mm. thing, taking the elements of science and then just really exploding it with this world that can do things you know, in VR that you can't do in reality. Yeah, that's true. Like, isn't it, am I incorrect? Tell me if I'm right. Isn't it that your character starts out gray, the submissive, and then as you do things and you get rewards, you become more human? You become more yourself?
0: Yeah, that's the idea. There's a whole underlying theme that Laura's come up with. Uh, It's this world that exists on passion as a currency. And if you become stagnant, you become dispassionate, you turn to stone and you become part of the furniture, you become part of the scenery. And in fact, the scenery is built up of all these bodies on columns or, you know, this chair might have uh, different sexy figurines built into it. And the idea is that these are other people who just lost their passion. And to stay relevant and to stay empowered, these different mistresses are there to elicit either pleasure or pain. And in fact, there's two factions to the game. The Pleasure faction and the pain faction, and you can support one side or the other just by which mistresses you go to
1: it's kind of deep
0: different mistresses mm-hmm. service different kinks basically some there's a cute little new mistress and she's kind of anime ish and she's in the puppy play and is very soft and and loves to play with her new puppy, but then you have the extreme um enforcer Furia who has her own jail cell and has her military kink and has e slaves writhing in pleasure slash in basically in pain on these different contraptions and things like that. And you're here to service her. Then there's mistreatment is this devil girl who is more about therapy and hypnosis. And she has this psychiatrist lounge that's surrounded by lava because it's in hell. Yeah, so there's, there, there's a whole bunch of different characters and mistresses to go see and experience. And the goddess who runs the house, at the end of your intro with her, the the scene fades out and fades in and she is gigantic. She's 40 stories tall, looming over you with mm-hmm. glowing eyes and she says, now be gone, slave. Or, in this echoey, crazy thing and the, the implication is eventually you might be able to play with her at that size and we're still working on that.
1: I really, yeah. really want you to make a VR vaginal experience being able mm-hmm. to Go or just or even a vulva experience of being able to, like the vaginal opening, like, eyes of before, the goddess you know? vulva. And you have to do all this work to like please and yeah, run just around a, and do all these things. And, just,
0: yeah, yeah. There was you know, one concept of climbing her at yeah. one point, but yeah, just pleasuring someone at that size is you're going to be doing lots of squats to be personally be thrust yourself in into places. I don't know. Yeah. It's just like a lot of fun. <laughs>
2: It sounds like VR is perfect for this kind of experience. I mean, the only real use of VR that I am super familiar with is like a lot of like exercise and workout stuff. And as you're describing this, I'm like, oh, no, I totally get because you're you're looking for that embodied experience with kink. And we were talking about this a little bit last week too, where you're wanting to really feel... Out of your head and in your body. And so, just this like, this way that you've created actual like dominating figures for people to interact with is so brilliant and I I'm curious how people have responded to it and if anything is kind of you by the community that's built around yeah you're saying that
1: people were like I'm gonna throw money at you if you make this did they throw money at you yeah
2: it turns out
0: a lot of people are very excited about the idea it's still in early access because we're only working on it on the weekends in our spare time Laura actually is working on it more nowadays now that we've gone through a great chaos move but now that we're settled settling down she's getting to work on it more but the fans have really been the reason we keep working on it because they're so enthusiastic about it they come mm-hmm. up with amazing ideas some of them volunteer their time to help us with things and they give us a feature request it turns out our fans the ones that really liked submitting to extremely dominant women uh, a very large percentage of our fan base are trans or non-binary and wanted that represented in the game so you can actually choose we have four different things that you can choose for your own character you choose either a male or female genitalia you choose masculine or feminine presentation on your body masculine feminine or silent for your voice and you choose your pet name so you can be referred to as boy girl or pet uh, and that also then determines the pronouns that that people will refer to you as so, between those different four vectors, people can really customize how they want to be represented, in the game, which has been very popular and is not in a lot of other uh, kinky VR games out there. People have been really responding positively to that.
1: Yeah, since you've made it, have there been more kinky games, VR?
0: There's been a few, but VR gaming is a niche in itself. It's like, in, say, okay, 1% of all potential video game players are playing like VR games, and then... Kinky adult games is a niche because no platform really advertises that they have kinky games. You really have to enable them or to find them or you have to be actively searching for them to find them. So that also really reduces the sort of Venn diagram of between VR and kink. Kinky games are even a subset of not safe for work games or just lewd games in general. So we're we're sort of a subset of a subset in the kink or kinky game world and then on the vr where even another subset our potential audience is very tiny but very enthusiastic it turns out so that's really helped us keep, Mm. keep going
2: yeah i play games on my phone very lightly like mostly word games and it's appalling to me the advertising that i get it'll be like a makeover or like you have to rescue this damsel in distress who's going to freeze to death with her child if you don't like get them food but the representation of femme people in these games is clearly just jack off material for people and the like scenarios that they're in are so absurd (laughs) yeah so i would imagine that there are people who are actually really more interested in playing games that are intentionally erotic mm-hmm. rather than having to go to the style of games. It feels like a slap in the face when they get advertised me. you am like, what is Yeah, happening? yeah.
0: And there's definitely more heteronormative games where I find most of the VR games are more like you have a doll that is willing to do anything you want them to, no questions asked, and you can move them however you want to move them. But it's more, I don't know, like maybe playing with a real doll, but in VR there's sort of just Mm. experiments you can do that I like people I heard about this sex thing but I'd like to see it myself
1: yeah yeah a lot of what we've been talking about on the podcast lately has been about creativity that can happen it's actually like getting beyond just the function and the skills and getting into these worlds that you can go into and I love all of the just the allegory that seems so representational of actual life in a certain way, but you're expanding it into this whole other fantasy world. It's really interesting.
0: Yeah. And Gigantic Mistresses and a world that runs on pain and pleasure is, as fantastical as it is, we do try to ground it in safe practices. Mm. Every scene that you start, you're basically told what the scene is about so that you know what's going to happen. And then you're given final yes, no, are you sure you want to continue? So that's how we incorporate Mm. um, safe scene and consensual. That's how we make sure that we ask the player, are you sure you want to do this activity? And of course, it it is VR. You can always take off the headset and you can always open up your menu and exit out of any scene. But when you're in the middle of it, it doesn't feel like you can exit out of something. So we make sure that everything is voluntary in the game, even though you're treated like uh, a plaything or a slave or whatever it is. To start it, it's always with permission, which is very important to
2: us. Oh, well, I love learning about this and about you. And I'm so thankful that you all are creating an experience that isn't just entirely based in stereotypical gender dynamics and really fleshing out this fantasy world and it's been such a delight to be in conversation with you. To see you and Robin together is just been really awesome. Thank you so much for joining us.
0: Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. This has been really fun.
2: Thanks, Brian. So, Robin, how was that mm-hmm. for you having your brother on the podcast? It was a lot of fun. It actually was a
1: nice little bonding experience. I was shocked about that story of Rocky Horror. How did I not remember that? (laughs) I have to ask my friend Lael about it if she remembers that. I have vaguest memory of it, but I think it's just so fun. It was a nice bonding experience with him, and it makes me also miss my mom a bit because she really was such a huge influence on us and so accepting of us. So I really try to take that over with my kids and Brian's as well. Hmm. And this podcast, in a way, so much of what we talk about is permission giving. And I think that my early
2: experiences with that came from my mom. Or as Lucy Fielding would say, inviting. I was like, oh, how do I start incorporating that into my lexicon my intention with this is to invite you in to having permission to be yourself did you also do a lot of ecstasy before your brain fully developed or is that just me
1: when does your brain fully develop 25 i think estrogen based bodies
2: typically around 25 26 i did a fair amount yes a lot after that because i have no memory i did a lot of ecstasy quite young like a teenager. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I have no (laughs) answer.
1: Sarah, I barely remember anything. And Brian's talked about this too. When I told him we were going to do the podcast, he was like, if we're going to talk about our childhood, I don't know what I'm going to tell you because I don't remember hardly anything. And then he comes up with something (laughs) I don't remember. I have bits and pieces for sure. Max talks about how he remembers every goddamn thing from his childhood. And I don't remember hardly anything, but I did most of my ecstasy from like 22 to uh, 40, (laughs) 40 (laughs) (laughs) 41, so, fair enough, yeah, Uh, so, who knows why we don't remember things, I'm interested to know what you thought of that game, was that what you were expecting when you heard VR
2: kink? Mm, I don't think I had any expectations, because I think I said in the beginning that I don't, have much of a point of reference Mm -hmm. for games in general I think Mario Brothers is where I left off with my gaming and then you add the virtual reality element on and I couldn't quite wrap my head around it but when he described having a dominatrix goddess who's 40 stories tall or actually it might have been earlier in a description where he was talking about having to look up Yeah, And all of a sudden, I was able to plug in to what the experience might be like, because it does sound so embodied, like I said to Brian, where you can be in that moment. And also in some ways, and maybe I wish I had thought of this sooner to ask him about it, but being able to explore these dynamics solo. Yeah. Hmm. really strips a lot of the ego because for me with many things I have this kind of wall up that I don't exactly know what the root of it is but where there can be a safety fear or a fear of embarrassment or shame or that I really have to work through and be super present yeah to be able to show up in certain dynamics like i don't do karaoke i cannot imagine the feelings of shame i would have <laughs> standing up and doing karaoke so for me thinking about this game i was like oh how cool that the game is responsive to you and the game can pick up on what gestures you're doing with your body If you're looking at the figure, if you're looking away, because it actually can give you some muscle memory yeah, for what that experience is of being submissive in a totally safe environment.
1: Yeah, that is a really interesting thought about being able to have a kink experience without being actually seen. You're kind of being seen by a not living thing
2: so Uh in a certain way you're Uh being
1: seen like your kink is being seen on a certain level but you Mm -hmm. as a person don't have to have any of the complexities that come with another person looking at you and experiencing you and having thoughts or worst case judgments about you like that's so interesting well I mean
2: as someone who like I am really invested in My sexual experiences, kink playing out IRL, I get so much from the energy exchange. So I would hate to see things like VR totally take the place Of of that real life energy exchange because it's just totally different. But I love that there's the option of like, ooh, this part of myself might be a little hard to explore or really like turn off the controlling or whatever are the roadblocks for people in terms of being submissive despite it holding interest for them and that something like VR can fill in the gaps in terms of helping to get you comfortable or giving you an opportunity to explore when perhaps you don't have a partner to explore with or don't have the funds to pay someone to engage with you, et cetera.
1: Yeah, or maybe you are comfortable doming with other people, but you're not comfortable subbing with other people, but you want to have that mm-hmm, experience. Mm-hmm. There's so many different ways to
2: play that out. That's very interesting. I like that. Yeah, I would be curious. Was it our first episode? Maybe it was our second episode that we had Dean on. I want to get him to play the game and then report. Girl, back to I was us. thinking the same thing. I was like, I bet oh, if yes, he's got to do
1: it. this, it, he's gonna rush out and get a VR set, and then we got to get his opinion about it. But maybe we should just gift him a VR headset for Christmas <laughs> year and be like, now you have to come back on the podcast if you play my brother's game.
2: Yeah, yeah. What a weird <laughs> world. <laughs> yeah. Well, I. Have a new segment for you. Ooh, I'm excited. I don't know what to call it yet, but the working title is "Alternative Anatomy Lesson" Ooh. or "Alternative Anatomy Quiz." Okay, are you down? Yes, I'm always down. Whatever you want, Sarah. I'm, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm here okay. for it. So I have some anatomical facts. Oh boy, are you gonna t- are I you gonna going... stump me? <laughs> I think some of them will stump you and I think some of them won't stump you and some of them are just going to make you mad. Oh boy. Well, I will say that mm. I was very happily stumped
1: by Lucy's muffing, so I'm I'm excited <laughs> for this. Go ahead. Okay.
2: <laughs> All right, let's do it. Do you know when the clit first appeared in Gray's Medical Anatomy textbook?
1: Okay, I know a little bit about this because I helped you with a video that mentioned this once. And it was something where it was originally in the first publication. I don't know when that was, but it was taken out from like 1946 to like 1975.
2: Close. Okay. That's really, really close. Okay, so Henry Gray, Gray's Anatomy, it was actually the textbook before it was a hit show. What, what if
1: you were talking about Grey's Anatomy, the show? You're like, do you know when the clit came out of Grey's Anatomy, the show? I was like, God damn it.
2: <laughs> so Henry Gray published Grey's Anatomy in 1858. There was no clit Ugh. in any of the anatomical drawings. Okay. In 1901, the clit appeared mm-hmm. and then it was removed in 1948 And it was not until 1981 (sighs) that the Federation of Feminist Women's Health Clinics created anatomically correct images of the clitoris. Good for them. We owe so much to them. I
1: remember as a kid, there was this general thing of like, the clit is just so hard to find, which is so infuriating. And Mm -hmm. of course it is because it wasn't even there. Even doctors didn't study it or know about
2: it even though it's right in front of your fucking face anyway all right you're just gonna make me mad we could go down this rabbit hole like the way that the clit is drawn and written about is as if it is derivative of the penis but we know that actually in embryonic development that actually all embryos have a clit first Yep. And that the formation of the penis happens from the fusing of the labia, which form the scrotum. And that's why, what is that line called? I don't know what that line's called, but I
1: love pointing out to men that that's where their lips closed up.
2: Yes. And it's like really sensitive right there, that line that intersects the balls. And then the penis is actually originally a clitoris that elongates. Yeah. Overgrown. So we all start with clits. That's right. How many nerve endings are there in the clit? Oh boy. Um, See, I'm
1: really bad at remembering numbers. I know I've heard this before. I am going to say
2: (laughs) 27,000. That would be amazing. Okay. So (laughs) if you had heard this number before, it would have been 8,000. Okay. But there was a study this year, and it is actually the first time that they have ever studied a human. Shut up, Sarah. And it was Dr. Blair Peters, an assistant professor of surgery in the OHSU School of Medicine, who discovered that there are 10,281 nerve endings in the clit, which is 20% more than the often quoted estimate of 8,000 nerve fibers, which is believed to have been derived from livestock studies. God damn it, Sarah. I'm just going to be so (laughs) mad
1: at the end of this.
2: Well, thank goodness for people like Blair Peters. Do we know how many nerve endings the penis or the frenulum has? So I did not find that number, but I will invite our listeners to send it in. Let us know. Educate us, please. What I do know is that the anus has the second highest concentration of nerve endings, And then it is the frenulum, the underside of the head of the penis. But that's largely just because it's stretched out and those nerve endings are spread out over a larger surface area. Uh, What was the event? Okay, wait, is this one going to make me mad? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. I I think I end with a... Oh, no, I end with some fun ones. Okay, good, good. Okay. I think this is the last one that might make you mad. Okay. What was the event that caused the U.S. press to say... The word "penis" on the air first. Ooh, I I think I know. Was it oh, Lorena yeah. Bobbitt? Yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. So in 1993, after allegedly being raped by her husband, John Bobbitt, Lorena Bobbitt cut off his penis, and the press was officially liberated from the prohibition of using the term. And I'm going to sidebar. And if this feels too dark and you want to cut it out, then I am giving you full permission to do this. But at the time of this incident in 1993, it was not illegal in all states in the United States for husbands to rape their wives. And it was not until 2005 that every state in the country made it illegal. And there are still provisions that in many states that separate the penalties for spousal rape versus non-spousal rape fun
1: time what a time to be alive yeah Yeah. no i think i'll leave that in because that's just cold hard facts about how Mm -hmm. horrible women are treated in this country and how there's still so much left to do and that wives are property right
2: Oh, these are the roots of these things. But this is where our quiz, our alternative anatomy quiz, takes a turn. Bring me back up, please. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know the first time the term pegging is used? Ooh, 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 ooh. Is there like an event that I would know?
1: Or is it like. Ish. Okay. I'm going to say the first time pegging is used is in the early 2000s by a sex educator that we know. I'm going to say, yeah. I'm going to say, Damn. okay, I'm going to, I'm going to say, um, it's by, uh, Sue, is it by Sue? What's her name? Sue? No. Okay. It's, um, cold. cold. <laughs>
2: It's, um, in 2001, 2001. Dan, Savage oh, Dan Savage coins the term by talking about it. But in 1998 is the first representation with the porn Bend Over Boyfriend. Mm. And then by 2006, Weeds features That's a pegging right. episode. Yes. In 2010, Dan Savage goes on the Colbert Report and talks about pegging. Wow. And then from there, like 2015, it's on Broad City, then it's in Deadpool, and now everyone's pegging. Yes. Thank God. You know, cultural revolution.
1: (laughs) You are bringing me back
2: up. Uh, I appreciate
1: it. Okay. (laughs) I'm, I'm
2: feeling loose. Oh, good, good, good. What term means butt in the U.S. and vagina in the U.K.? Fanny. Yeah i didn't know that one. Oh, yeah yeah yeah. i just love the idea of people going over to england yes. and talking about fannies i have a great aunt named fanny oh i know and
1: i always when i heard that a while ago that fanny means vulva in england i was i thought specifically of her and i was like oh that would have been fun for her i mean she was a very uptight religious lady
2: and she it would have been fun for us yeah that would have been fun for me <laughs> Okay. Can you break a penis? Final question. You can't break it like you can break a bone, but you
1: can. I know I've seen pictures or heard of like kind of cracking them. (laughs) And I mean, that I think you can, you can, you can fuck them up.
2: Yeah. (laughs) You can definitely mess them up. So despite not being made of bone, vigorous intercourse or masturbation or even falling on an erect penis can <laughs> cause sorry. a penile fracture mm. it's a bending injury that occurs when a membrane called the tunica albuginea uh-huh. tears yeah and it's what surrounds the corpora cavernosa, which is the spongy tissue inside the penis. And basically what happens when this membrane tears is that the blood that's normally confined in the spongy tissue leaks out. And so it causes a lot of bruising and swelling and recovering from a penis fracture usually involves stitches. I did not know this. So you have to
1: stitch the interior. Part, yeah, okay, yeah, you—it's a—it's a a tear basically. You have to stitch Mm. up. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. it's like cracking a glow. So be,
2: you know, be careful with those erect penises, y'all.
1: Yeah, they have feelings
2: too. You know, yeah, you don't want to crack them. (laughs) (laughs) Although that would be, you know, I mean, if you are having vigorous intercourse or masturbation and you happen to break your penis, then you know you've got a good story to tell. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god. Can't be
1: good. Yeah. I don't know. yeah That's rough. <laughs> That's rough. Well, this was fun. That was fun. Thank you for the little exercise. I, l- I liked quizzing you. I'm glad that I got Fanny and Bobbit. I feel like
2: yeah. it probably speaks yeah, a yeah, lot yeah, to I my mean, knowledge. And you were very close on many of them. Thank so you. I'm I'm quite impressed. Thank you. Thank you. I have a general knowledge of things.
1: Yeah. Genital yeah. related. well it's always nice to spend
2: time with you oh yeah so good to spend time with you too and our listeners yeah to everyone who's listening it's about damn time you go and you give us a review Mm -hmm. and you subscribe Mm -hmm. and you send all of your friends the podcast to listen to along with you and gain these you know very interesting facts yeah we can't get elsewhere
1: and just a quick note everyone we're taking a little break for the holidays
2: we will not have a new episode for you the last week of december and we but we will be back the first week of january just taking a quick pause to get our shit together okay bye forget, forget. knocking them out of the park fuck yeah podcast is produced and hosted by me sarah tom chesson and robin jennings theme music is produced and performed by she her sir you can find out more about what we're up to at fuck or reach out directly at f at gmail.com if you're enjoying the pod give us a hand rate review, subscribe, wherever you listen, and make sure to share it with a few friends. Thanks so much for tuning in.